here's Johnny. I'll be back. And you will know my name is the Lord. I'm walking here. I'm walking here. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. Welcome to Box Office Pulp, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, moxie, and tonight, the entirety of 1980s horror cinema, part two, but it's still the entirety, just more of the entirety. Anyways, I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today are my co-host, Mike. Say hello, Mike. You ever think, uh, whenever you watch the remake of The Fly, that eventually she was right, a cocoon will come out of her and then be ripped open to reveal a baby that's essentially Captain America? I mean, like, he wasn't going to get the shield from the Star Spangled Banner. I mean, not literally, but it's in the same wheelhouse of a Captain America. I feel like they're trying to make their own Frankenstein Captain America. Like, he he would just pick people up and throw them down wells while protecting patriotism. Yeah, I mean, mean, it was about protecting patriotism until he turned into that slug monster thing. His dog died. As... And so <laughs> I was just going to try and get out of that, and it kept going. And say hello to my other co-host, Jamie. Hello, Jamie. Do you also have opinions on the fly? Yeah, I'm really stuck on this. So in the Mick Garris like, OG version of the fly 2, the fly was going to become Nuke. Yeah. I think about that. Imagine Nuke, but he's the son of Brundlefly, which fits. That's what disturbs me, and that's what's keeping me up at night. It fits. Especially it, the extra hearts. It's a really weird prequel to It Follows. Our fly boys. <laughs> we've done it. We've made the worst cold intro we've ever done. Anyways, folks, thank you for joining us tonight. We're here to talk about In Search of Darkness 2, and not just The Fly 2, or The Fly, or Return or Curse of the Fly. Although, who knows, we might get back to those. They're never far from my heart. Folks, if you are interested in a copy of of In Search of Darkness 2. Uh, flash sale here. Apparently it is on sale until February 14th at midnight at 80shorror.com. Uh, they're selling it in a $70 bundle for the Blu-ray, which, dear God, I, I just want the Blu-ray by itself. Can, any, can anyone sell me just that? Because I have no need for so many posters and pins and all the other junk. Oh, maybe you don't deserve to see the movie, Cody. You ever think about that? <laughs> you piece of shit. They're, pull the screen. They're pulling the screener out of my memory banks right now. No. Also, it's 80shorrordoc.com. What did I say? 80shorrordoc.com. I mean, I we can write it back, back if, you, if you want to fight. I mean, I'm not against it. Maybe I was <laughs> yes. wrong. Just, just make All sure. this is so on right. tape. <laughs> I mean, if, if we want to be the, the Super Bowl and... Uh, have a lot of uh, inappropriate fouls. Slow. Yeah, I, I follow topical. what happens. Jamie, way to be topical with that one. I agree. Fuck the patients. You should bury the tape <laughs> and then um, have someone find it while they're clearing asbestos out of an old building. <laughs> Session 9. Unfortunately not 80s. We are just missing the mark left, right, and center here. Uh, but if folks are actually interested, the Blu-ray is $70. Uh, it is region-free. comes with a slipcover, a 16-page booklet, Three posters and enamel pin, while supplies last, a digital copy of the first documentary, this documentary, the digital soundtrack and score, free shipping, and eight months access to the In Search of Darkness Discord group community, which honestly is like a lot of shit. So $70 probably isn't that bad. I'm just looking for a single disc. I don't, I don't need any of the doodads here. Says so the guy who just bought Ang Lee's Hulk in 4K. It was $8, Mike. 
eight dollars. That was eight dollars that could have gone to your upgrade into the in search of darkness lifestyle. <laughs> the lifestyle of the in search of darkness man. Yes, the in search of darkness man. <laughs> I was just going to let that go, but... <laughs> well, I feel like if it was anything else, if it was like the In Search of Light, it'd be a man who's actually on a mission. In Search of Darkness is just a guy who's closed his eyes and is covering his ears. Not great for a podcast character. Doesn't really oh, make an audible connection to the audience. So the documentary. <laughs> so if anyone hasn't seen In Search of Darkness, the original documentary uh, that spawned this one... The idea is the filmmakers are interviewing a bunch of different genre filmmakers, actors, uh, fans, and getting their opinions on basically the entirety of the 80s genre of horror. Uh, this second one kind of has a little bit of a template to it where they'll go through a year in horror, like starting at 1980. They'll cover a couple of films that came out during that year, talk to a couple of people who maybe were involved in that year or those movies and then they'll move on to kind of a, a, a subtopic like italian horror or uh, uh nancy allen on nancy allen just interviewing nancy allen or tom savini talking about special effects uh comedy and horror they, they jump all around you really get a, a whole large array <laughs> of topics they cover in these and luckily i think this one kind of improves on a mistake from the first film they do slightly more obscure films like in the opening couple of minutes, they do Humanoids from the Deep and Alligator. Stuff that people might be aware of, but they maybe haven't seen. Especially since Alligator is very tough to find on physical media. And I appreciate that quite a bit. The moment I saw Humanoids from the Deep, I turned to my girlfriend and I was like, Okay, we're, we're in for the deep shit this time around. They went so far off the beaten path, they didn't even see it anymore. Got lost in the woods <laughs> and attacked by Bigfoot. This is, this is like a four and a half hour documentary, so I do appreciate that it's not just, hey, here's the, all the Friday the 13th sequels. Like, as, as deep horror fans who would watch a four and a half hour horror documentary, we're not necessarily interested in hearing about the same stuff over and over again. So I'm glad they found a deeper ground. Yeah, I love the first In Search of Darkness. Uh, I wrote a review for it for um, Horror Movies Hub, but um, yes, that was a self-plug, Cody. Um uh, I was, was going to say self-promotion ting. ting um, but as I said uh, in regards to that that was much more of like a a movie party kind of a documentary it reminded me so much of the vibe of Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments where it's just like a big party a big celebration of, of these things and it's not a ton of new information it gets, digs a little bit deep and goes a little bit insightful but it's just having like a really good time with the with the era and you know just the kind of eighties horror mecca. This one kind of went that's out of the way now and really dug a lot deeper. Like went for those obscure titles, went for went for things that are a little bit more like curious and uh, just a little bit more interesting that to talk about because they're never talked about. So there's just a lot to say. Like getting just. Clancy Brown, who has nothing to do with the keep, talking about the keep was like magical to me. Um, the bride being talked about, and and just the the reverence and respect a lot of them are spoken of, um, but not in, you know it's not like they're treating like humanoids from the deep, like it's high art or anything. They're still you know loosey goosey making fun of it, but I appreciate that the documentary went a lot more insightful and a little bit heavier while still having a lot of fun with it which is something that was kind of missing from the first one yeah i think it's a problem that's 
just kind of inherent in the structure of trying to cover an entire decade. It's very easy to get breadth. It's it's much harder to get depth. You know, how how in the world do you really cover all the horror films of the eighties, even in four hours? So it, it's nice that they got a second swing at it and they could this time drill a little bit deeper. Uh, I know I was writing down the movies I hadn't seen this time around, and there were, there were a ton. Uh, they spent a ton of time talking about Vamp. I'd never seen that one. Uh, like Blood Diner gets a lot of coverage. There's a Blade in the Dark, Manhattan Baby, Murder Rock, Delirium, uh, Hell of the Living Dead, Body Double, Body Count, Graduation Day, uh, Charlie's Farm, Frozen, which actually wasn't an 80s horror film, so it kind of surprised me they stuck that one in for a second. Shed of the Dead, uh, The Beast Within, Evil Speak. We've got Night Beast, Working Girl, The Being, uh, The Keep, Extro, Making Contact. Uh, you know, I've never seen Ghoulies. I'm going to admit that. I've never seen Ghoulies. <laughs> oh, you've never lived, Cody. Apparently not. You've uh, never seen Ghoulies? With... It's you. I've never seen Ghoulies. I'm You're like designed for Ghoulies. I feel like Cody's ideal form is being a tiny Gremlins knockoff doing shenanigans at a college campus. <laughs> I mean, I already really love Gremlins, so theoretically I love like munchies and ghoulies and all the other knockoffs, right? I like critters a lot. I, I mean, I'm I'm pretty much in line for this. I'm not opposed. You've seen Hobgoblins. <laughs> it's true. So I've seen Hobgoblins, but not ghoulies. So, yeah, there's uh, uh, dozens of films covered here, and not all of them are huge names. And I, I like the talking heads they got around this time, too. Like you mentioned, Clancy Brown is here, which is exciting to hear from him because I, I don't hear him do commentaries very often or anything like that. And if you don't know him very well, besides his roles, you just see the big, hulking, intimidating guy in all those different genre classics. And then he's like a pretty down-to-earth, well-spoken dude in, in his interviews. So it's always fun to see the opposites kind of come out of what you that expect helps. from a character. Well, it helps that he looks like Moses now, too. So he's slightly holy. He's got that big has a lot beard. of weight to his words. Got beard. The last thing I saw him in was uh, the Mortuary Collection, so it was very weird to see him all of a sudden with a full, full head of hair and a flowing beard. Hollywood magic. <laughs> Hearing Chris Jericho wax philosophically about Shocker and <laughs> the, the beauty of seeing uh, Director Skinner menace a small boy was very surreal. Chris Jericho named off all the members of the Dudes of Wrath. I can die happy now. <laughs> That, that's how deep cut this documentary is. The dudes of wrath are gushed about. <laughs> yeah, I think I feel like in addition to the more diverse uh, group of movies and people that are talking about, which, by the way, had any of you seen anything from Jackie Kong before? Like, it no, blew my mind that there's there's an 80s female schlock horror movie director who put out like four movies that are very weird and ultra violent and look very interesting and i've just never seen her reference before yeah it's surprising you would you would think that'd just be a given considering you know how many female directors are celebrating from the 80s we, we have a, a small number out there she should be like right front and center you'd assume with the, uh, multiple genre entries under her belt yeah, yeah. it's nice nice got her i've heard of those movies but i just never seen or really seen anything of them other than just the titles and she's cool and a great interview so it's like what, why is it she on every horror talking <laughs> <laughs> but like I go in addition to the broader range of subjects and interviews i love the timeline structure i, I feel like that works so much better than what they went with in the first movie which yeah like, like you said it's kind of more of a uh like a party movie to throw on not 
something that's a bit daunting to sit through all the way through because it's just here's a movie, here's a movie, here's a movie without a whole lot of structure. Them bouncing between the year-by-year timeline and the inter- intimate interview and discussion segments really gave this a much easier-to-swallow structure. It was a hell of a lot easier to find like natural stopping points to start and stop this if you weren't with a brave souls to watch all four and a half hours in one go. Yeah, they had the in-between stuff with the first documentary too, but they weren't they weren't particularly deep subjects. They were just kind of like you know basic final girl stuff and and things like that, and mostly just broad stroke topics. This one, I liked how there were almost mini like mini featurette documentaries that were within them, like fascinating stuff, like the Nancy Allen on Nancy Allen stuff, the Robert England on Robert England. Tom Savini, the Euro horror stuff. Linnea Quigley gets her own section. Hearing Linnea Quigley finally tell her story at length was probably my yeah. favorite uh, moment in this entire documentary. That's been a long time coming. I did love the structure, just breaking down year by year. Although part of me, just the pie in the sky wish in me, would be that instead of getting one documentary to cover 10 years, it would be, this is In Search of Darkness, 1981 edition. And then it'd just be... <laughs> an hour and a half of 1981 movies, and then a couple of these, like, let's bring in, uh, I don't know, Tom Savini to talk through the special effects he did in this film or something like that. That would probably be the most ideal be... form. And they, hell, they, by the end, once they do, like, a third part, they may have enough footage to, like, release a version like that with, like, extra shit. Yeah, just, like, this edited into a mini series that has, ev- where they talk about every single 80s horror movie in chronological order. That'd be amazing. Wasn't uh wasn't there a VH1 series like that? Like I love the seventies or whatever, and they'd go year by yeah, year as an episode. Yeah, they did every like de- decade and shit. Which also had Chris Jericho <laughs> and Danny Bonaducci. <laughs> I mean, I know that structure would take years to put out, but boy, that'd be the most perfect version of what they have here. I'd really love it if they could expand that much because it's it's so difficult to be like, okay, here's two nineteen eighty two movies. God, we got to keep moving. There's still like so many more things to cover. And even that, it's a little surprising because they get into some interesting spots that really deserve way more time than they can give them. Like, they do one segment just on, like, NES-style horror video games. Yeah, which nobody ever talks about. Had you ever seen any footage from that Texas Chainsaw Massacre Atari game? I never had. Yeah, it's it's not very well received. I've heard it referenced before, like, in passing, because uh, it's, like, the first... It was really... I think that and Death Race were, like, the two big controversial video games that first riled people up. I never had seen a frame of it or seen that the chainsaw is the was same dick. color as... It's the same color as Leatherface's apparently nude body. It's, you know, it's just like a you know how that game works. Pretend it's the driller killer. <laughs> now that would make a lot more sense although like, it's still confusing you get stuck on like fences and stuff apparently you just uh, you have to wander through on the screen well Leatherface if is very stupid if you haven't seen this game it pretty much look, just looks like Custer's Revenge modded to be Leatherface it's very disturbing yeah so anyways there, there's so much you could drive just out of that one topic and it's it's fairly fresh ground and unfortunately it gets a, a relatively tiny segment where they cover what the Halloween game uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, uh, the Friday the 13th game. 
Hey, with, even with limited I think time, it was, just, it was, it was worth it just to see the LGN Friday the 13th and the modern game side by side with Blue Jason. Like, oh, how far we've come. Yeah, I mean, that's such a neat topic. I, I just wish it, that was its own thing. So it's it's kind of a bummer when they get into something and they have to move through it very quickly. Like, I, I love what they're doing with the Italian horror and the different people they had talking about it. The expertise they brought in there, having having Phil Noble just kind of give like a quick breakdown of the genre and how it came into America was fascinating. And unfortunately, it's over so quick. You just go, oh, man, I wish I was had an entire documentary about Italian horror. Give me like horror noir, but for Italian horror. Oh, yes. Oh, I would love that. I was just thinking that uh, horror Europa documentary that uh, uh, yeah. Gaddis did. It's like, oh, that, but like three hours longer. Um, it was nice to hear. Like, there were so many quotes in this documentary that were so refreshing to hear just from, like, it's almost like the horror community needs to hear it every once in a while. And one was about the Italian horror, which is people saying it doesn't make sense, but it's like, no, it's because you're not in their culture. To them, it makes all of the sense. It's just a difference of culture. So story te- yeah. story like storytelling is just different in a other culture than storytelling you're used to. It's like between that quote and Joe Bob, you know, saying that the whole horror fans only want blood and guts and nothing else is a complete fabrication. And these utterly horrible movies like Nightmare prove that because that's what they are and no one likes them. Yeah. Speaking of which, I was surprised at the balance of uh, different people they had in the talk. Like, Linnea quickly probably talks more than anyone else in here, which is exciting. But then they throw in a, a bunch of YouTube personalities, which is a little conflicting for me. Like, uh, they had the guy from Good Bad Flicks. I love his channel, so he was always exciting to hear. Uh, the Angry Video Game Nerd is in there, and for some reason that guy just... I, there's something about him. I don't know what else. <laughs> I'm always happy to see James show up. He's got... Seeing gentle James Roth just be really pleasant and knowledgeable... About something. I think that's my problem. I, I'm just expecting nice. him to start being mad about it. Yeah. <laughs> he is very insightful. It's nice to see Oliver Harper in there. You know. uh, we have the host of Dead Meat. Uh, so, yeah, there's an interesting collection of kind of YouTube personalities merging into this, which is interesting because it feels like, hey, isn't this just your show made into a DVD? Mm-hmm. But then uh, we also get stuff with Robert Englund, and it's fun to hear him talk about like his own directing efforts. Yeah, it was really interesting hearing him talk about what went wrong with 976 Evil. Yeah. Like how that was that was going to be a completely different movie and he's going to die mad about how that turned out. Which I always <laughs> just assumed he just found a shitty script and didn't know what he was doing and let us never speak of this again. I didn't realize that was a screw job. I do appreciate him starting the interview with, look, no one held a gun to my head for this movie. <laughs> but Oh, it's nice to hear. Just the anger. I was so happy to hear him like wax poetically about Phantom of the Opera. Yeah, the Phantom of Manhattan was a fucking reveal. We could we could have cut in a series. Oh yeah, I've always been fascinated by that, which is why there was a time travel element in that movie. Sort of is that script almost happened too. Um, here's a fun fact: there, England did a movie shortly afterwards that it, it's confused a lot that people think that script was turned into this movie, but it, it's not that. But it is interesting how there's a lot of elements of the Phantom of Manhattan that made it into this movie that I think actually takes place... Um, I don't think it takes place in New York. I forget where it takes place exactly. But he, he's, like, running, like, a music school. It's almost like a Suspiria-type thing. And 
there's a ton of elements of his phantom in there and like who he's playing and like mask work and all this other stuff that it's almost an unofficial sequel to the phantom of the opera it's very interesting if you ever look it up i forget what oh, it's called it's gonna be- we, we've got to do an episode on England. Um, we should do an episode on the many different versions of the Phantom, because all of them are interesting. So many Phantoms. It's like Horror Phantom, Rock Opera Phantom, Time Travel Phantom. I'm just waiting for them to all get thrown into one blender, and you just get the ultimate Phantom who does it all. Oh, like the Shadow. It's the Phantom of the Paradise. Sure, yeah. <laughs> That's the closest we've gotten. But uh, back to the Talking Heads. I did find the balance a little funny, though, because sure, we get... Some really great stuff, like Tom Savini, too. Anytime he's talking, it's always fun. So I, I, I love him in here, even if he's giving some of the same stories we've heard a hundred times. But then we have, uh, like, uh, Joe Bob and uh, Darcy. It feels like they were only in a segment or two, you know? Just, there were, uh, there were, kind of were definitely, by... their talking heads were definitely from leftovers of the first documentary. Yeah, which is almost a bummer. It's like, oh, cool, they're in this. Oh, very briefly. It was nice, though, because uh, we get a lot of Nancy, Nancy Allen. So things balance. You get some people that you don't hear from as often. and. Uh, that really surprised me, just seeing how many things Nancy Allen was in in yeah. the 80s. You don't appreciate yeah. it until you see all of them lined up in a row. Always, like, oh shit, she was everywhere. I always forget she's more than just RoboCop's partner. <laughs> I always think of the De Palma stuff first, to be honest. Yeah. Like, there's a, there's a disconnect in my mind where I don't even think of her in RoboCop. Like, I'm even watching RoboCop, and it never occurs to me that's Nancy Allen for some reason. And it was also... Uh... Amazing to hear so much uh, spoken about demons without even having to get into the weird history of official slash unofficial demon sequels overseas, which could be an entire documentary. (laughs) The next 40 minutes are just about the church and what the hell is going on with that. Oh, my God. I love the church so much. I was so glad to see the church at least briefly mentioned, even if they didn't go in. Very briefly. Yeah. Fucking love the church. Barely go into that one at all, which is a shame. Yeah, it was. E- it was. E- they could either do the church or do the keep. They could not do both. <laughs> I am on the side of just release the keep. Come on, Michael, man, just put it out there. I want to see. Doesn't it. matter. I want to see it where it doesn't look like it should be filled through version. a glass of milk. It's a beautiful looking movie though, because it doesn't make any sense. Well, uh, I, they did put out an Australian DVD recently that apparently also looks very bad. But it is oh, out the there. author, though the author, I believe, has regained the rights to the movie though, like recently like Ooh. literally within like the last month or a couple months um he's been trying to get the rights in order to um uh get working on a new adaption so if he has the rights it's a way from michael mann suppressing it so it this, could be released this is just leading us to collateral 2 <laughs> which i'm also for. Uh, I- I was just amused that there's more explanation of what's going on the keep of what's going on in the keep in this documentary than there is in the keep. It's true. The keep is one of those fascinating films where everyone's talked about it long enough, but it's been hard to find that it, it just kind of has this mythology around it where I really don't even know what to expect from the film. I, the footage I saw in this documentary is the most I've seen of that movie ever. And again, painted the clearest picture of what I was missing. And doesn't I look just knew amazing. There was like a kind of a golem creature. Yeah, no, I'm I'm into it. I, I definitely would buy a copy if like Screamer just to throw that out someday. It shows up on streaming every blue moon. Every Haley's Netflix comment. gets it. For some reason, it's always Netflix or Prime that has it. What are the other? But um, one big thing I I really enjoyed they did, which was a big difference than the first one which was definitely more of like the 80s were the greatest time of horror and, and all that. 
this they they definitely seem to make a conscious choice of we started off talking about classic horror and this was something that came up constantly throughout the entire documentary um especially from like savini of these are the things that brought us to the 80s and i really like the message of not laying your fandom down completely into one era which a lot of horror fans tend to do with the 80s like this is the grandest time and it was like the biggest boom of horror but everything kind of leads to something and modern horror stems from the 80s and 80s horror stems from these classics and i i really appreciate the discussion around that and not just leaving everything into the 80s bubble and yeah that first segment demon seeds just talking about influences is really fantastic uh, anytime you can get Joe Dante to talk about it came from outer space and his, his love of like 3D gimmick movies in the 50s. Go ahead and do that. It's going to be fun for everyone. So that that was that was a treat. And again, it's one of those segments where it's like, damn, that's a documentary right there. Why is that like a 10 minute lead in segment? Yeah, but uh, we're kind of spoiled just because we've had some really great long form documentaries with very hyper focus uh, lately. Uh, just the last few years, uh, Crystal Lake Memories just on the Friday the 13th movies that thing gets to cover all the movies in so much depth or uh, never sleep again. Same thing, but they're lucky because they only have to worry about like nine films or something. I don't know how many movies they cover in this documentary, but it's, it's, you know, it feels like dozens and they just have to run through them so quickly. I I appreciate that. It's gotten to the point where it's people like us making these things now. And we've always wanted, we want like the documentaries to be four and a half hours long and cover goddamn everything and be super in depth and long form. And, and have a certain kind of tone and vibe to them. It's like the stuff we were always starved for, watching like movie documentaries and comic book documentaries and just pop culture documentaries growing up. And we always craved that it would just do a little bit more, be a little bit different. And we all had the same thoughts. So now, you know, Creator VC is just literally doing that. <laughs> the, I yeah. think the closest we got was uh, Bravo's 100 Scariest Movie Moments and then yeah. their even more scariest moments. <laughs> Like, oh, come on, keep giving us scary moments. You don't even have to rank them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. well, well I, I want to see In Search of Extremity, the 90s comic story. <laughs> exact like same people interviewed. I'd love it to sounds, see it sounds like, what, are they moving on to doing the 90s after this? Are they going to do, like, In Search of Darkness 90s edition at some point? They are doing a 90s edition of, uh, I, I would love to know what the hell that's going to be called, but they are doing a 90s <laughs> horror documentary right now they're working on um, on top of i guess preliminary stuff for in search of darkness part three and the 90s doc which i think will come first um they're currently working on a first person shooter history documentary oh. uh, that's what they have cooking right now oh, yeah. it's called fps uh um, i'm super excited for that they've been posting a lot of they only like just recently kind of launched the kickstarter for that and uh the social page and stuff, so I just started following that. It posts a lot of cool, cool tidbits I didn't know about, like with Doom and a bunch of obscure first-person shooters from the early '90s. Yeah, that's awesome! I cannot wait to see like so much more stuff from this company, especially you know, if they get a little bigger. They're gonna have like multiple projects working at once. I could see them becoming a powerhouse because I, because I, I know these two Kickstarters were massively. Oh yeah, very much so. They? And uh, I mean, and um. Uh, and they still have, I think, coming out soon is uh, would be In Search of Tomorrow, their uh, 80s sci-fi doc. So. And they already have one out for uh, action flicks, don't they? 
In Search of the Last Action Hero, which you can find on uh, Prime yep. right now, I believe. Oh, neat. I did not know that was available. I'm just I'm excited for the '90s edition, just because for me the '90s is really my horror nostalgia area sweet spot. You know, I, I love all the '80s stuff, but growing up, I was, you know, a '90s kid, so that's where my area of interest is. So I, I can't wait for them to do like, hey, here's ten minutes talking about the Mummy remake. Oh, and it's so neglected. There's so much to talk about. They can bring up Freaked. They got Alex Winters in this one for a minute. I mean, it just seems guaranteed yeah. he's coming back. God, for Freaked. I love Freaked so much. Can we do an episode on Freaked? I've never I, seen you, Freaked. You would love Freaked. You've got to see Freaked. I, I honestly, it's one of those body horror things that has disturbed me enough where as a kid, I'm it's like, I want to watch this. There, there's a man who's you like a half this. monster. Ha- have a lot of fun. Watch um, watch Little Monsters, watch Freaked, then watch Nightbreed. In that order. <laughs> like Pokemon Evolutions? Then finish the night with the X-Files episode, <laughs> Postmodern Prometheus, the perfect little epilogue. <laughs> so there you have it, folks. God, there's four and a half hours of this thing to go through. So obviously we can't go through it all ourselves or boy, it's just going to become repetitions of repetitions. But if you're interested in a physical copy, I'm going to stress this one more time. You have until the end of February 14th to go and buy one of those. Otherwise, uh, I don't know where this one's going to land. I assume it'll be on a streaming service at some point, but uh, um, I'm not sure when. So if if you're itching to see it, might as well buy it. Yeah, if you're a horror just genre fan in general, there is no better Christmas present that you can give yourself than uh, the In Search of Darkness documentaries. They are an absolute delight and bizarrely rewatchable. Very rewatchable, yeah. I mean, I threw the first one on as background stuff at, like, Halloween parties, or that's my plan, too, from the future. Just I, I, I watch it while cooking. I watch it while cooking a lot. You know, oddly, I would only do that with a horror film if it was, like, a, a, a documentary on Hannibal. It would be fun. The movie Hannibal. I think I would get discouraged. Like, my hamburgers wouldn't come out as good as Hannibal's hamburgers. I'd be like, ah, well. This isn't people at all. Cody eating Ray Liotta's brain aside. Hmm. Baby. What do you think Ray Liotta's brain tastes like? Ham. It tastes exactly like ham. I think smoked ham. Yeah. Like, maybe like a little honey glaze. Fatty ham. I'm thinking like he dunked that... No, like he dunked that ham in whiskey. So bourbon smells what sweet yeah. Kentucky bourbon. I, I like this version of Hannibal. Just a good old glaze on them brains. I like this version of Ray Liotta. <laughs> <laughs> lobotomized and delicious. No, you can't lobotomize Ray Liotta. We will, we want him sassy. That's part of his appeal. I don't know. You gotta you gotta balance balance this out, Jamie. Do you want the joy that you get from sassy Ray Liotta, or do you want the the mm, mm, lip smacking deliciousness? A spicy Ray Liotta. Oof. Mm. I'm going to have to go with the one that ends with me consuming human flesh. I'm sorry. Sorry, Ray. It is. Folks at home, write to boxofficepulp at twitter.com to let us know how you would prepare your Ray Liotta brains. Maybe candied with some walnuts. We can get a cookbook going. Could. Come up with your best Ray Liotta brain recipe and you'll win something. Prize to be determined. <laughs> yeah, prize to be determined. It'll be a surprise. It'll be a surprise, surprise, prize. You'll win it, tell us, we'll make it, and then eat it. This is one of those times I wish I was actually friends with Ray Liotta, and the contest winner, we get a surprise visit from Ray Liotta, and then be uncomfortable the entire time, like, am I supposed to kill and eat this man? Does he know what I won the contest for? Just opens the door, Ray Liotta's scowling at him, punches him in the face, walks away. <laughs> That's what you get. Folks, the contest is not going to be that great. I, you're probably going to get, like, a box of peanuts. But anyways... If you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find more of us at boxofficepulp.com. 
you can find us on the Twitter page, go ahead and just shout cannibalism recommendations to us on the Twitter page. We'll, we'll be your army hammer. Never say we'll be army hammer again, Cody. <laughs> Too late. It's out there. It's Bad timing. Stop being timely. It's topical. No, it broke my heart. Look, we can still love Man from Uncle just as much. We already didn't like Lone Ranger, so it's okay. <laughs> it balances. Although I do really like Free Fire. Look, we're all we're all mourning the morality of Army Hammer in our own ways, but we can't let that affect the podcast we're trying to end. That's true. Speaking of which, good night, folks. Get the hell out of here. And like that, he's gone. That was very big of you, Cody. I know it was difficult to end the show, but I'm proud of you. It was, it was difficult to start the show. It, it was difficult to end the show. It was difficult to have the middle of the show. The whole thing was difficult. And that's why I have to kill all of you. And then you just light us all on fire. and It's very much a Game of Thrones thing. You've been wallowing in oil for like the last 30 minutes and didn't even realize it. <laughs> oh god, I have. Dun, 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 this is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.